Coffee Sketch Podcast is our take on the intersection of old tech and new tech, the space between the traditional practice of the hand-drawn sketch that has been performed by architects and designers for centuries, and the modern-day use of the hashtag as a representation of a sentiment or a movement. Hey, Jamie. How you doing? 100. 100. Say it again. 100. 100. We have, and those, we're not, we're not practicing different takes. We're just going to say 100. Yes. A hundred times. <laughs> yeah. Finally, is, let's say like, for all the people who have small children, like the, the hundredth day of school is like hundred day apparently is like a big deal. I don't remember this when I was a kid, but yeah, I don't remember that. So their teachers get creative and they're like, this is a hundred pencils. This is a hundred, hundred pencils isn't creative, but what, you know, we need, we need like a hundred owls, hundred owls or like a hundred coffee cups. <laughs> well, I know we have more than a hundred sketches. Yes, we definitely have more than 100 sketches. Well, what's what's the temp? You told me that it's getting warm in, it's, in it's Austin. Getting, it's getting warm. So we're going to have, in, in I think in honor of our 100th episode, we're going to have a week of 100 degree temperatures here in Austin. Wow. That's great. I mean, for the commemoration. Maybe yeah. not so great for the life. Not for the climate. But you know. the climate or lifestyle. Right. Maybe it'll keep Jamie inside in the AC sketching. Sure. Let's <laughs> go with that. <laughs> well, we've got to hit, we've got, now we've got to, the goal will be 200. And hopefully when we hit 200, it won't be 200 degrees. Yeah, we don't want that. No, no. <laughs> Only in our cup, 200 degree coffee. Well, or something. Are you well? You go first. Anything to in what's the coffee that's celebrating one hundred? I'm I'm still going with this this new limited edition blend that's going to you know inspire Kurt to go back to the store. It is a vanilla with uh, a Madagascar vanilla. I did not know there was such thing. Apparently such things exist, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know how different it is than vanilla from somewhere else, but no, it's, it's very nice with a, a little bit of a honey, honey flavor to it. That's great. The, oh, I now I've, I've forgotten. <clears throat> well, I, I, I too, I'm still, since we are at a hundred, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking Starbucks as well. So uh, I've still got a little bit of the Yukon. Yukon blend, which fires fires me up. Yeah. I'm like you're on your like what sixth or seventh cup today? Yeah. I mean, it's just I'm just getting started. Right. Right. It's just the beginning. I've got a hundred to drink today. Yeah. Lots, <laughs> lots of sketches to do. So <laughs> hey man, congratulations. Thank you for joining me. To make a hundred to make a hundred of these episodes. I know. This is like this is like our, our big group hug moment. Kurt had this crazy idea and like, hey, why don't we do a podcast where no one can see us 
and no one can see these sketches and let's talk about them and, and also have a cup of coffee, uh, make it a conversation. So here we are a hundred episodes later and, and yes, we do them with the video on, which is intriguingly fun as well. And I think we've been getting a little bit better. Hopefully maybe we'll do a little bit more live sketching in the next hundred episodes. Yeah. The tech tech has improved a tiny bit. I'm still, I'm still thinking about how to do the live Still working on that one. There's some, there's some tools and apps, 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 apps. 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 Yes. (laughs) Well, and, and, and I do have some news for the hundredth episode. So speaking of live sketching, I was selected again to do a workshop for the state architecture conference here in Texas, which will be in El Paso this fall. And so I will be doing, again, a three-hour workshop on coffee sketching on awesome. tour in, in, in situ, in the real life. Very cool. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Well, the, where's the Alamo? Is the Alamo El Paso? Alamo is in San Antonio. San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, so that was last year's. So, Well, this is a terrible blunder of mine since we're, this, we decided to, to talk about some sketches of some historical architecture i don't even know where the alamo <laughs> yeah, you don't even know where the alamo is it's all right texas there's, is the big state there's a likelihood i might not know where this building is yeah, right. i'm just kidding i'm not really sure well is el paso yeah el paso west texas i do know that there is the utep yes U- university of texas el paso and those i think what isn't the UTEP the home of the UTEP two step? Oh, I don't two step. Well, how about the UTEP two sketch? <laughs> Are these like dad jokes? I think so. Okay, I think I learned them from my dad. Yeah. Or you, you channeling your brother? So that's right. He's in town. He's he's a dad. And he's got, I mean, he's a, he's a seasoned dad joke inventor. Right. Well, he's also an engineer, which I think like is sort of a, ter- <laughs> a terrible combination for, for, for those types of things. But he, he does listen and he's gonna, he's gonna feel a little chapped. <laughs> 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 he's gonna pull the rights to our theme music. We're gonna yeah. have to. No, he won't. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll apologize. We'll have to get him a coffee sketch mug and a pin. And uh, he needs swag. Yeah, just give him swag. Just, just give him some swag. We it's need a- swag. Yeah. Speaking of which, see, there should be a logo on that mug, but there's not. Working so, so before we get into the sketch, Jamie, um, we gave a shout out to a, a a good friend on episode 99, our friend Ilya, running for office at AIA National. So today, we should shout out another good friend, a fellow architect, a fellow AIA colleague, committee fellow, as far as we shared committee work with her on the Young Architects Forum, and she is a fellow of the AI as well as Ilya is. 
Evelyn Lee, the the host, co-host, I suppose, of Practice of Architecture podcast on on the West Coast. The West Coast. So Texas, third coast, best coast. Um, the 100 degree coast. Ilya on the East Coast, Evelyn on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah, Evelyn is, Evelyn is also running for office and um, definitely endorsing that as well and hoping that she will be successful in her bid to be the next AIA president. President, right. She's running for VP, then president-elect. And so, and yeah, so we, we, we at Coffee Sketch Podcast are rooting for you, Evelyn. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and if you haven't heard their podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, and if you haven't heard their podcast, definitely. Janine and Evelyn of Practice of Architecture. It's really good stuff. Well, and, and I think some of it, too, is you and I were, were chatting about this offline last week, was that in Evelyn's role with the Young Architects Forum and her interest in in practice and how practices evolve, the evolution of practice in architecture, um, you know, both for her own career trajectory and then the things that she's been interested in and people that she's met along the way. And she did a, a conference and basically helped organize and spearhead a conference that you and I both attended, which was the uh, Young Architect Forum Summit 25, so the 25th year of the Young Architects Forum at national level. And so you and I participated in that in Virginia with, I guess, 48 other colleagues and did and and discussed sort of what the next, not just the next generation of architects would be, but sort of the next evolution of what architecture role practice would be. Mm-hmm. And and I think it was a it was a fun fun format, a couple good days of interesting discussions and presentations, kind of creative problem solving. And it was, it was good. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. And honestly, and I don't know if I've ever actually, I probably haven't mentioned this to, no, maybe I have, but one of the big takeaways I think from summit 25 was the, and which was named the practice innovation lab was the idea of sort of a decentralized and remote office structure that could compete at the same level as a sort of what traditional practice, which involves all hands on deck sort of in an office physical space together. And so one of the, I think, success models out of that is the jam collective, which is part, part of which this group is comprised of some fellow young architect forum colleagues as well, Christian and Abby and um, a few others that we didn't actually share committee time with. But the cool thing is, is they they have taken that and carried it forward, right? And so now five, fast forward five years later, which I think in any professional organization, to see something conceptualized one term and less than five years, because it's already been in, in it's already in, 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 what's the word? In the works. It's already working. It's, it's already a thing well before the, 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 the next summit. Let me stumble through that one. But basically, less than five years, you have proof of concept of, 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 the, the, of this sort of model or, or sort of office model, which 
I don't think if we didn't discuss this, I mean, I'm not going to say that it was only thought of in, in Summit 25, but just by having Summit 25, that conversation, this pandemic that forced everybody to a remote work model kind of shed light on that, hey, this can work. And, and by being forced into that position by you know sheltering at home or working from home. Anyway, so that's exciting. I think I think it's really it's always exciting to see something come to fruition from concept. Right. Well, I mean, and and just it was I think exposure for a lot of us to again, you and I've talked about this quite a bit and and others as well is you know, the, the the benefit of having served on a national committee for our professional society was it service is something that is sort of ingrained in us and and, and something that you know is, is part of our our own ethic it's just who we are as people but I think that the the privilege of being able to serve on that is one thing but I think it was sort of the 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 bonus is that you get to have this opportunity to see what other people in similar stations in life, in their careers, different stations in life, different backgrounds from all over the country are having discussions that are either similar to yours or so different that the exposure to that is, is is the real benefit. Sort of this opportunity to kind of hear out of context, out of your, putting yourself out of your own context and into a conversation. It's always sort of the I'm stumbling through this one, but it's a, it's as an answer. But it's I, I think I've always just loved it. I mean, it's it's energizing mm-hmm. and 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 refreshing to have those kinds of conversations with folks. And I think the summit was a, a, a snapshot of that, of course. But like you say, I mean, you know, there were there were some tangible results from that, some of which we didn't necessarily, you know, expect at the time. I don't think that they went into that conference thinking that jam was going to be something that, that existed post-conference. And, and then you look at what Evelyn and that podcast are doing in terms of having, you know, extended conversations about practice of architecture and, and, and the breadth of what that means, it's not just the practice like this, it's the practice like this, which you and I tend to talk about anyways from our own perspectives. But yeah, I, I think it's th- that exposure has always been something that has been the hidden benefit it's of being part of the professional society, as much as you and I both disagree with quite a bit of some of the politics of things, for lack of a better term. They, I think that you can be the change agent from the interior or the exterior. And you and I have always sort of done it from the interior, even if we sometimes feel compelled to be on the exterior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I really wish Evelyn the best as well as Ilya, but Evelyn especially, because I think that her own career trajectory would bring a really fresh perspective about this sort of practice of architecture and, and, and what does, what does the future hold? Yeah. And so as we, as we segue into, into our sketch for today, 
one more 100 is I think the the premise of Summit 30 is to zoom into the future 100 years and think about what the profession of architecture looks like. So that's the, the sort of the strategy for that conversation, which is really intriguing. And I think would is going to be a very fruitful session that they put together. Oh, I think it will be. And I think as, as we transition to the, the, the sketch for today is as much as Summit 30, you know, projects out a hundred years into a future sense as, as architects do. I mean, architects, and artists and philosophers and educators and practitioners of all types will look at manifestos for the future, try and figure out what that sort of futurist think kind of concept is. But I think that what the sketches and sort of the conversation, the short, shorter conversation today will be about is as much as we're projecting forward, you know, we can't ignore the past and and how we grapple with it and the conversations that weren't had and the histories that weren't told and the stories that people don't want to have because they find them uncomfortable and when those intersections occur in a built reality it's not just about encountering somebody and having that conversation that may be uncomfortable, but being in a space that makes somebody feel uncomfortable because you're, you're, you're living with that built history. And that's something that I hadn't a recent experience with. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, went to my first national main street conference, hadn't gotten a plane in a long time, which was of course a pandemic world. But flew to Virginia. Conference was in, and was excited to to see a city that I had not not been in and explore, but also to connect with colleagues who are doing similar work to mine, but in different states. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm I'm in Texas, you know, and working as a, a Main Street architect for the state, and but have colleagues that I've been. You know, conferencing with in Zoom rooms for months and months over the past couple of years, past two years, I guess. And so this was an opportunity to see a lot of them in in person. And what we do is pre-conference to the larger conference, the architects get together for for two days and share best practices and and then do some architectural tours, do the architecture junkie, figure out where we're going, who's local, what things that are on our our wish list to go see. And so one of one part of that tour was going to UVA and and actually and actually seeing the the campus that Thomas Jefferson's brainchild um, <laughs> was. And so the sketch is of the rotunda and his version of the Pantheon in rural Virginia. So that was a treat for me because at least the Pantheon as a building, as I've shared on the podcast before, is arguably my favorite building. And so to, to know that that was the touchstone architecturally that Jefferson wanted to emulate with, the, with this particular building and, and the campus was just interesting just to see. 
I mean, not even talking about him as an architect or as a person or as a past president, it, it's just knowing that architectural lineage to this from a process standpoint was just sort of sort of an interesting thing to see and walk around and then inhabit. But yeah, that so, was. So, well, so does it have, I mean, we both have been to the Pantheon, luckily. Yep. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's also, it's, it's one of those things that I, I would love to, to, to get to see in person myself, just knowing to have that experience of historic American architecture that, like you said earlier, related to current current events as far as race and uh, the history of the country and Jefferson as a part of that history and and slaves and and indentured people or uh, I'm think, thinking of the uh, anyway so I, I was thinking of another term and I couldn't remember I apologize so anyway whether or not the history should be amplified but at least understanding the time and the place so anyway so the question was is is does this the interior of this rotunda have that same sort of close effect that the pantheon dome has or no. is it different okay different. I, I don't it's remember entirely different because this actually has multiple floors in it and and even that to, to a certain degree has changed over time because there was a fire with the building oh. and, and it, it, it was, it was, it was restored. And actually is, I think this is the second restoration of the building, which is a little bit, this second one is a little bit more sensitive to some of the original aspects of the design. And so we were actually able to tour the campus with the campus arm, which was fantastic. So the most most university campuses have a campus architect. In this particular case, when the when the architect is Thomas Jefferson of, of the original architect of the campus, there's there's some there's some aspects of that that role today for a, a campus architect that certainly have a lot of baggage yeah. <laughs> and 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 it probably a different role than than most campus architects. But the gentleman who toured us around, I can't remember his name. He was. He was very, you know, generous with, you know, his time, but also sort of his description of things and and describing the process of the the current restoration of the building and and the documents that they historically had to go back and and go through the archive and 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 it was nice to hear him sort of be critical of the lack of drawings that that Jefferson had for this building and for the campus in general. The drawing set was was pretty limited, but at the same time, there were um, some very exacting specifications for the building, and a lot of them were related to Jefferson's understanding of Italian architecture and his understanding of Palladio and mm-hmm. understanding of the Pantheon. And so there was, a, there was an exacting specification of what his theoretical premise from there to here was. And then, of course, there were some less than spectacular accounting for that specification where some of some of the Corinthian columns that you're seeing here might have also been part of a, a work order where some of those things went for Monticello as well. So you had the university and his residents both being <laughs> effectively developed at the same time 
And so the architect was talking about, you know, when they went back through to find uh, a lot of documentation of that interior space, you're, you know, back to your question of what was the dome like? Was it, was it painted? What was the ornament of it? How, how should it be rendered today? So they went back through a lot of that, that documentation, which included the specifications as well as the bill of goods for those things. And, and this university at the same time has also been going through its own reckoning of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that brings us to kind of the, the other image that you had on the screen a moment ago, which is a, the, the newest addition to the campus, which is uh, a monument to the enslaved individuals. The yeah, the in, enslaved laborers and individuals who effectively built this campus. Right. And the story of their lives that came out in a lot of these documents that these architectural historians were looking at related to the buildings themselves, this built history. But in those records, you see this accounting of people and, and, and of a story that really wasn't being told and, but was, was ever present in the buildings and the campus itself. So there was a, a conscious effort by the university to create a memorial on the campus, in the central campus. And it was so, and it, it only was dedicated in 2021. So it was something that I was aware of. There was a lot of news reporting at the time, both architecturally as well as in just sort of regular national press. And so it was something that going to this campus, I definitely wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And and it, it's interesting that the old and the new, as far as constructions, and then the juxtaposition, to use an arch- architectural term, of of the the spaces, sort of you know above and below, and and sort of ornate and minimal, and and symbolic and retrospective, all kinds of meaning sort of embedded into into the design and actually let me share real quick the, the architects of the memorial website real quick oh, wrong page this page so you and i were talking about this ahead of time but designed by howler yoon which they're based on the east coast but we will come back to that so the interesting way they've presented it on their website with um this nice aerial photo in the wintertime, which is fascinating, this perfect circle that they've created. But it's more like in three dimensions, these sort of layers or rings that they've developed as their description of the project is down below, but representing 4,000 enslaved men, women, and children who built and sustained the daily life of the university. So for faculty, students, staff or them themselves being the staff holding this whole thing together right and so the interesting sighting right so if you look at the lower right here uh, you can see the rotunda in the distance and then the lawn adjacent this sort of triangular space of lawn uh, where the memorial is as it sort of emerges out of the ground and actually let me see i i was trying to hint oh you can kind of see it here but they, they, they rendered, and the interesting 
the bit of technology that is is sort of leveraged mm -hmm. to to fabricate manufacture this memorial is also intriguing to me and how they must have sort of computationally derived the chiseling or carving of this this stone skin on the memorial but so the the exterior is sort of etched or manipulated to sort of represent these pair of eyes which they are attributing i think it's it's listed here sorry i'll have to cheat and scroll down let me i'll come back to here the exterior yes in so the portrait of Isabella Gibbons and show enslaved worker, but also then a teacher in Charlottesville. So a fascinating sort of integration, I think, of, of the sort of memorial aspect plus the symbolic aspect of, of this, and you know, mixed with the technology. And so. Well, um, and, and it's good that you bring that up because I think that's the you know, memorial spaces as a, as a design exercise, just abstracting it here is they're really difficult to do because I think, and, and this one, I think spoke to, there was a lot of community discussion and community engagement with in developing what, what is being memorialized here, who is being memorialized here, how, is it being memorialized? What story are we trying to, to explain? How, you know, how is it going to be rendered? What feelings are we trying to evoke with the space? All of those things from a memorial standpoint are, and then it's, and then it's setting, like you, like you showed that sort of initial image of it in the snow. And there's, a, there's an exactingness to the campus there's as a as an architect or as a designer there's a formality of you know campus geometry many many campuses across the united states in their planning and campus planning were were influenced by jefferson and uva and that sort of quad idea so there there's a lot of the design intent that is already present in this place and then you add to that this kind of concept of trying to memorialize 4,000 or almost 5,000 individuals and their stories that have never been told in an object or in a place. And that is an incredibly audacious task. And so I think you, know, you highlighting some of the technological aspects that they leaned into to, to accentuate aspects of the design I think is is really unique to this memorial that we don't necessarily see in other memorial. I can't think of another memorial that tries to do this in this particular way. And there's some the thing that we were talking about, you know, as we were sort of getting ready to do this conversation was the thing that had struck me in how all of the names or descriptions, because some of them aren't, some of these people aren't named. Mm -hmm. um, in the records of the campus, some people are only listed by their profession or their task that they were attributed to and how they were, they were counted. And so, but each one of those individual stories of memory is 
rendered as a mark on the on the internal ellipse of this this circle, and when it rains, it really has a a powerful. It's 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 a bit humanizing as well to a stone surface, and and there's a, there's a pain and a sadness with seeing that. I think that's intentional and difficult mm-hmm. and intentionally difficult and and really effective. So I, I I I wanted to see it in person. And you you read these types of descriptions of what someone's process is and the things that they're after. And then to see it in, in real life and experience it yourself, you can really come away with come away with a lot. It's it's mm-hmm. a, I'm not even sure I have words to describe some of these things. Yeah. I bet the the being there in person was extremely moving. And, and so I'm glad you got to go there one day. I would like to try and get there myself. The says, says here, just to, to expand a bit on the memory marks, is it signifies those that were lost, lost to historical record. However, as they uncover names, they will add them to the wall. And so, yeah, so, so each mark of these, these sort of slashes in the stone represent an individual. And so some have names, some don't, some have as w- whatever information, as you mentioned, was known, like their uh, skill set or task uh, job that they were assigned to. And so that, that's also kind of an interesting aspect of memorial is the ability to sort of evolve or expand the information within the memorial. And the other thing I think about this this one in particular is, and and I think this image is is really good at showing that is that how a memorial is not just a statue, but actually is, is more of a, a place that can you can use as a, a public space, like a plaza or a, you know an enclosure, or so it's it's occupiable versus. Uh, statuesque or a sort of monumental right so it's not just something to look at but something that can bring people together within well and and that it's not planned is that yeah. you know that's that i think that's the thing as architects and designers oftentimes we try and plan all of those experiences and and i think that that image you just had on the screen is that's not planned you know that's that's people deciding how they're going to occupy that space yeah, and what's appropriate and, and maybe what's appropriate then maybe changes over time and, and that's okay too. And so I think that that, that allows for people to, to engage with it and sort of make it their own and sort of expand that story. And I, that's, those are the things that I think always give me pause as a designer is there's there's things that you imagine how people might use something, but there's also a re- there there has to be some humility in realizing that you don't you don't know, you don't know how something's going to be received, and you don't know how something's going to be used, and and sometimes in that not knowing, you get the best results. Yeah, it reminds me actually of something my very first studio instructor in first year told me is that you don't get to stand outside your building with a pamphlet that tells people how to use it. (laughs) 
Exactly. And that's a perfect, I think, summary of, of, of how this, this and all good works of architecture evolve or take on its own sense of, of meaning and place. And there's a lot of subtlety in the design. It may look simple, like a ring of, of stone, but with, with, and, and I'll, this is going to be my last point because it's, it's such a simple, simple, simple looking s- structure sculpture but i mean the more i look at it the more it it evolves into or just exposes the technical um, precision which howler yoon if you're not familiar with their work they do a a variety of different project scales but started out i think doing a lot more installation work but in a not just temporary installation where but things that are very well crafted, right? Almost like fabrications. If you, if you were, I mean, the, the interesting thing, kind of tying back to like Evelyn's work with the Practice Innovation Lab, is like kind of rethinking like what an architect is is and does. And and Howler Yoon kind of represent this expanded definition of it's not just about designing something to get a permit, but following through with the craft of that object and how it is, is completed and how it then engages with its site. So, you know, for example, you could see here, down here, the, the ring is at this sidewalk level and the, the bottom of the outer ring and this, this sort of ledge that becomes an inner ring, but that inner ring becomes this bench and the outer ring becomes this wall. And then somewhere between the, the grade that this ground is sloping, something is sloping down. So as the, the circle comes around, it's kind of going down into the ground and back up. So it's a very subtle, like geometrical shift, even though, and with a round thing, I mean, could go on and all the, the detail, but I hope, I don't know, you, you were there. So I, I would imagine you felt the spatial relationship change as you moved around this thing. Well, and, and it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it, that's the thing is I, I think spaces like this want to evoke a feeling. And, and, and I think that we we've, we've talked about it from just even buildings kind of jumping out for a second is you know buildings and art evoke feeling and emotion and are connected or disconnected from a place and or a story and there's there is some art and craft in executing things in this sort of exacting way like you described i mean that's the 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 perfect example you're you're original studio prof telling you you're not going to get to stand outside here and, and explain your design to everybody who comes to, to, to visit it. This is that type of a space. I, it's a, it's a perfect, you know, a perfect way to kind of capsulize it is it's, this would be completely ruined as an object, as a space, as a memorial, as a place to, to yet be programmed or a place that evolves if there was a placard at the entrance that explained it's unnecessary. It's, it's too much. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, there's there's enough in it for people to spend the time and discover things for themselves and and inhabit this place and i think that that's that's part of it that's sort of the 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 fun interesting aspect of architecture and design is sort of realizing that you have to to let go a little bit and in instances like this where the conversation is difficult you can have a really simple design that says so much and i think that that was like you say how i experienced it 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 is a, it is a simple straightforward object that can be read one way but taking the time and inhabiting it and experiencing it and exploring it and thinking about it and sitting with it you know as a person in this context of over here is this building that we've studied in architecture school and now i'm in this space adjacent to it that's in dialogue with it how does that make me feel as a person how does that make me feel as an architect as a designer you know that's 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 the power of place so yeah you know appreciate the opportunity for us to talk about this and and you always find a way to 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 summarize it with something that's really super straightforward and i i always appreciate that yeah no this is great it's, it's a little a little little challenging sort of oh we never pull punches no <laughs> and episode 100 i guess shouldn't be any different and and so we don't we're not afraid to at least get into the open up the the, the dialogue or the conversation on on a subject matter but so anyway thanks no, for, thank for, for sharing your sketches and uh for 100 episodes and i'll We'll have to have 200 episodes under our belt pretty soon. Soon enough. Soon enough. Soon enough.